Welcome to the Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig on this special edition for the last days of Passover. Elijah's at the door. Now what? I have a story for you. All right. So when I was when I was a kid, um, our we would our family celebrated Passover at my um, grandparents' house, and. Uh, it was a big Seder and the family was there. And we had this tradition that the next unmarried person would have to open the, the next person in line would have to open the door for Elijah. Now, I don't know if that was a statement that, you know, it will take Elijah's help to actually find someone suitable for you or not. <laughs> I'm not sure what the, right. what the, where that idea came from, but one year nobody wanted to get up. Right. It was like, enough, I'm not getting up. So no, so we're sitting there and you can't actually start the second part of the Seder unless um, you open the door for Elijah. And so finally, my grandfather got frustrated and got up and opened the door. So he opens the door. And I remember I was a kid, I was like watching him. He opens the door and his entire, like his, his jaw dropped open and his entire face turned white. <laughs> and he was, and somebody was at the door. That was the problem. And not only that, as it happened, the person standing at the door was a priest. Wow. Who was actually looking for an address on the street, right? In the old days, you'd <laughs> got to go up on the porch and look at the address. Wow. So here at the, at the time that my grandfather is opening the door for Elijah, there's a priest standing at the door. That's crazy. So, it, it, right. And, you know, I don't know what went through my grandfather's mind, but... I don't think it's out of the realm to say, you know, maybe we bet on the wrong horse here. Yeah, right. <laughs> Elijah's here and he's a Catholic. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so that is, a, that is an image that stays with me. But let me ask you this. What if at your Passover Seder this year, when you opened the door, Elijah was really there? Like, what would that mean? Right? Like, Elijah is the forerunner of the Messiah. Elijah is the beginning of the of the redemption itself, the Geulah. What, what, what would that mean to yeah, you? Yeah, that, that would be a pretty big deal. That would be the biggest deal of them all. And, and yet we, um, we act it out every year as if it's happening without really giving it that much thought. Like we, uh, we kind of uh, blow right by it every year. Uh, exactly. It's like, well, you know. You know, we make jokes about it. Is like, is there any wine in the cup? We can have a cup for Miriam. But I mean, and which isn't a joke, but I'm just saying that we don't really take the notion that, you know, Elijah just might show up this year. And then what? I guess it, it really calls on us to think about what does redemption look like? What would that mean? What does the word redeemed world look like? What would a a messianic era look like that was an inviting place to go? Yeah, that's a, that's a heavy question. You know, we, we, we think about, you know, the, what is the, the cartoon? It's always in the New Yorker with a guy saying, uh, you know, called it holding the sign says the end of the world is near or right. The, uh, or redemption is coming. And uh, you know, are you ready? And there's always, a, it's always a punchline, right? It's something that we've, we've come to treat almost as a myth that it's not real. We kind of um, don't take it seriously. I think that's exactly right. I don't think we take it seriously. 
but the tradition does. And that's an interesting thing that we don't usually put together. Like, well, you have the first Seder, and if you live in the diaspora, you have a second Seder, and you have your brisket and the macaroons or whatever you're eating. And we have our conversations, and we sing the songs and Manishtana and all the rest. And then it's done. Thank you. This was Passover. But actually, Passover keeps going. And the end of the holiday actually offers you the answer to that question. What does redemption look like? Well, it comes in two forms. Redemption in this world and then redemption beyond this world. Because on the seventh day of Passover, we read Shiratayam, the Song of the Sea, because what the, what the tradition's trying to do is to actually have you not only experience that first night when the firstborn Egyptians were killed by the angel of death and the Israelites made their matzah and they were hurrying and they left the land. That's, that's what we celebrate during the Passover Seder. But by the end of Passover, if chronologically, we're already by the Sea of Reeds. And so it makes perfect sense that on the seventh day of Passover, that we would read the Song of the Sea, that we would read the poetic celebration of God splitting the sea for the children of Israel. But the eighth day of Passover talks about the Messianic era. And here you have the Haftarah, the prophetic reading of Isaiah, and he says, a shoot shall grow out of the stump of Jesse, a twig sprout from his stock. The spirit of the Lord shall alight upon him, a spirit of wisdom and insight, a spirit of counsel, etc. And he will judge the poor with equity. And here you have the larger redemption. What does it look like? Well, it's still in this world, right? It's not this apocalypse or the four horsemen of other traditions. When the redemption comes, the world is going to look like a different place. Thus he shall judge the poor with equity. He'll decide with justice for the lowly of the land. So isn't it interesting that what does redemption look like? It looks like a just world. Hmm. That's really interesting. And what I what I love about this is, you know, that my favorite part of Passover is that you're not just telling a story, you're living it, right? You're putting yourself in the shoes of these freed slaves. You're doing your best to try to really keep history alive and to tell this story in a way that you feel personally. And that eighth day can feel the same way if we if we think about it in these terms, what you're saying that, right, the coming of the Messiah doesn't have to feel like some extra-worldly event that can feel like our world, but better and more just, the things that we're striving for day to day in our lives. And to me, that's just a fascinating uh, issue because as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, well, that's up to us. That's not God's problem. That's our problem. Have you ever been to Stan uh, the Staten Island Ferry? Yeah, sure. So do you know that there's like a clock tower there? Do you remember uh, that there's a I, big clock there? I, I sort of remember that. Well, that clock tower was put in place or dedicated by the Seventh-day Adventists. And in knowing that and knowing that they think a lot about their Messiah, that clock tower has a very clear message if you're paying attention to it. It's saying the clock is ticking. Jesus is coming. 
and you better get right with God or you're going to pay a terrible price. Either you're going to be amongst the saved or you're not. So that clock is like when it goes off and it begins to chime, you know, I hope for your sake that you're going to be amongst the saved. That idea is dramatic and it's powerful, but it is antithetical to the Jewish understanding, which is being portrayed in the last days of Passover. Because for Jews, the idea is that our job is to make the world ready for the Messiah. The Messiah is not here because the alarm wasn't set properly or it hasn't gone off yet. It's because we haven't created a world worthy of the Messiah. And here's Isaiah saying, this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be a descendant of David, not a superhuman being, but a descendant of David, who's going to be a gifted, charismatic person who's going to bring this world to justice and to do what it takes to make the world just. And I just think that that is such a, an important and powerful idea because it calls on each of us and says, well, what am I doing to bring the redemption closer? How am I making a difference, right? What's my role? And it's not just a good deed. Everything I do is either bringing the world closer to the redemption or making the redemption farther from us. Yeah, that's really powerful. So we're not just opening the door uh, in that moment for Isaiah. We've got to really like uh, prepare for his arrival and, uh -huh. and do the work so that we're ready. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. And I can't think of a more powerful lesson or conversation to have either just with ourselves as individuals or with our family members or community. Like, what am I doing to bring the Messiah? Right. What am I doing to bring that world uh, that much closer? Right. I mean, you know, Lenny Bruce had this, you know, very funny routine that the the Messiah showed up at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral and the um, bishop said, Jesus, just wait over here. And they were kind of stalling him, kind of saying, what are we going to do? We're not ready for this. Right. We've mm -hmm. got all kinds of other things going on. Well, I mean, that's kind of the way we look at it. Do I really want the Messianic age? Jews will make jokes about, well, you know, then I'll have to go and there'll be the sacrificial cult will come back. Or, well, you know, maybe I, I'm not ready to leave Chicago and go live in the land of Israel, right? Maybe. It's obviously missing the larger point of the tradition, which is there's a world redeemed that is waiting for us. And we have a responsibility to be part of it. But our responsibility is to create a world that mirrors that place in order for God to send the Messiah. And I think that that is just the most powerful idea and the ultimate exercise of freedom. So powerful. And, and uh, what I love about it is that, you know, Passover is all about freedom. And we think about it as either you're, you know, you're enslaved or you're free. But no, once you're out of slavery, that there are whole different levels of freedom and, and freedom has to be worked on and, and has to be expanded to all those who don't have it. And not just, you know, within our own community, but, you know, it's just levels and levels that we need to be working on in our lives daily to prepare. Right. It's so easy to think that Passover is celebrating the one redemption. But actually, if you think about it from this perspective of the whole of Passover, then I think what we're saying is, is that that's the beginning of the redemption. The larger redemption's yet to come. And the people were given freedom in order to create 
the ultimate redemption, which includes everyone and a just world. Yeah, and we should open that door every year because we have to be working to prepare every year. And um, no matter who's at the door, whether it's a priest <laughs> or, not, or, uh, right. or someone else. I'm thinking about the conversations that are going to go on. This podcast is for the end of Passover. So people who will hear it will have celebrated the first days of Passover. And I want you to think about, well, what, what did we discuss at the Seder table? Besides, you know, whether the Knedelach were soft or hard or the brisket was better last year or it's good or it's nice to be together and all the rest. But my guess is that we'll talk about Ukraine. My guess is we'll talk about other issues that are affecting the world. But the question is, what are we doing with those things? Where are we exercising our personal freedom to address those kind of the issues of the world in which we live? How are we bringing the world to a different place? That's the question that I think the holiday itself wants us to ask. I think that's great. I think it's great that we have a holiday dedicated to freedom and, and, and a reminder that it's not just to be celebrated in the past, but that we have to keep working at it. Let's hope that the year to come will be a more peaceful year and um, a more just and equitable year as well. Amen. Happy Passover. Same to you, Rabbi. Thanks. <laughs>